0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Battle Plans. I'm Tony Lombardi and I'm joined by James Ogden, Deb Pantois, both from Russell Street Report. Battle Plans is brought to you by Royal Farms. Be sure to join Rofo Rewards. For every dollar you spend in store, you'll receive five points. And for every gallon of gas purchased, you'll receive one point. Redeem your points to receive a wide range of items. For details, go to roforewards.com. Fellas, the Ravens advance to six and two by beating the Vikings 34 to 31. They are now the number two seed in the AFC. They have a one game edge over the Steelers in the AFC North. Let's touch down and, and review quickly, if we could, just uh, some takeaways from the Vikings games.
1: You know, it was another slow start, <clears throat> I thought, for the team getting down in the hole. They did, they've done this before. Uh, they're, they're, make, they're making it into a dangerous habit. I was expecting a cleaner start, especially after a bye week the Vikings came in shorthanded, but they played hard and they, and they're a well-coached team. And especially, I was surprised on the defensive side of the ball, how they, they really were able to maintain their style of play, even though they were missing Hunter, even though they're missing Smith who are their kind of linchpins on defense, but give credit to the the Ravens. They have consistently had that incredible resolve and, um, from my perspective as well, it was a optimistic game for the defense, despite the fact that our we're kind of lowering the bar on them and their standards. Uh, but they did a good job, I thought, of, of just hanging in and then ultimately taking that game over about in the second half. So those were some of my uh, initial impressions of this game.
2: Yeah, their big big plays again from from the against the defense was sort of the the problem again. But I, I felt like they dealt. Outside of the couple of Dalvin Cook runs, I felt like they dealt with the outside zone, um, you know, what is a very potent outside zone running game most of the game um, outside of those those couple of runs, which you can't give them a pass for. But I, I, I felt like without the the kind of...
1: You lost James there? Yeah, it's we... Uh, hopefully i will be back soon uh, just thinking about what he might have said <laughs> I was getting inside of James's um, head the wide zone is difficult to deal with because of the gap discipline that you need and I think they just lost contain on that outside run but then it seemed like they had both front side and backside discipline throughout the rest of the game um, so they didn't leave any of those back, back alley lanes open
0: well I know that when you look at that game Dev that to say this is almost like saying a pitcher gave up five runs in three innings. If he could only take away that three run home run and that two run home run, he would have just shut them out. But if you take away a couple of those plays, the Ravens really contained Minnesota. And, And then when you look at the first quarter stats, I think the number off the top of my head was 165 yards of offense that the Vikings had in the first quarter alone, the balance of the game, they had 153 yards. Now I know it right. had to do with time of possession because the Ravens dominated time of possession, but that's just adjustment. And and I know that uh, John came out uh, after the game during his press conference and he talked about how they they at halftime they were all saying we got to clean up things, we've got to play better fundamentally, we got to do this, that, and the other. And what do they do? The f- very first play, 13 seconds into the second half they're down by 14 points because they give up a, a kick return for a touchdown. And th- that's a gut check, but this team just continues to show time and time again that they have tremendous resolve and, you know, they can stare adversity
1: in the eye and it doesn't seem to bother them. Yeah. And I just want to throw out a shout out to the two inside linebackers. So uh, Patrick Queen, Josh Bynes, they, I believe, uh, really uh, anchor the defense and the energy of that game because Bynes just consistently gave them the hammer, and his ability to read his keys and shadow Dalvin Cook at times—it just gave them all this energy and momentum. I felt like, and he's been that guy time and time again. So uh, Bynes, of all things, like a former Super Bowl champion, part of the 2012 team, but he's he's really sustained it for them in the key moments that they've needed it. I was talking to someone else this week about Bynes and Queen. And I
0: equated, you know, the fact that Bynes is handling the responsibilities, being that inside backer quarterback and realigning guys and being that that guy that calls signals, you know, when it's not Chuck Clark's responsibility, but kind of moving guys around and taking charge there, that not only are the Ravens getting more productivity out of that position, it
1: allows Queen to be the guy they want him to be. Yep. Totally. If freeze queen up, he doesn't have to think as much. I know James and I have talked about the soft line he's doing, he's playing his best football, but you look at that eight yard tackle for a loss on Dalvin cook. He saw it all the way and just, just torpedoed him like a missile. And that's what he can do. I mean, he can create some, we've seen it. We've seen big plays where he destroys a play behind the line of scrimmage. So hopefully he'll get continue to stack those plays as the season uh, continues.
0: Yeah, and the thing I equate it to as well on the offensive side of the ball, and we'll talk about that, is, is if Cedric Obwehi is active this week and he provides better technical protection on that right side where Tyree Phillips seems to struggle, not only does it make that position better, but moving Phillips back into the guard position
1: makes the offensive line that much better. Yeah, totally. I I agree with you on that one too. I know that that's like uh, it's it's waiting to happen. So they're getting there. They're they're
2: inching towards that. So James, do we have you back? I think you might have me back. Yeah, we do. Okay. <laughs> problems with get problems with getting across the pond there. That was <laughs> before we lost you. We we cut you off there. No, I I sort of I I was hanging on for a second. I heard Dev um just do my point justice. So no need to no need to go back to that.
0: Okay. All right, so let's talk about this upcoming game with the Dolphins now and a, a couple of things. Just the injury report, uh, which came, comes out today or came out today, and they play tomorrow night. Latavius Murray and Patrick McCarry are listed as doubtful. Brandon Williams, Nick Boyle, and Sammy Watkins is questionable. Marquise Brown Tavon Young are not listed, even though they were listed on the injury report earlier this week. They had full participation the last couple of days, so there goes for tomorrow night. Now, the... The One that's questionable that I think could go is maybe Sammy Watkins, depending upon how he warms up tomorrow night and how he feels. But all those guys, Brandon Williams, Nick Boyle, and Sammy Watkins, against this team, the Miami Dolphins, I'm not so
2: sure I'd push those guys. Yeah, I wouldn't be rushing those guys back, I think, for this game. The, the, the Dolphins are better than their record. It, it, it isn't as bad as two and seven. Um, they're still talented, but you know I, I wouldn't be rushing back uh, Nick Boyle or Brandon Williams. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be rushing Brandon Williams back. Like th- this is an anemic, anemic running offense, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I would not be bringing Brandon Williams back for this game. I would not be risking him. Now the Dolphins they snapped a seven-game losing streak Sunday with a 17-9 victory over the
0: Texans. But it was not that impressive, and you just indicated that, James. Miami managed just 47 yards rushing on 25 attempts, and they turned the ball over five times, including three fumbles. So to your point, Brandon Williams is not a necessity
1: in this game. The only thing I could think of would be if you want to get some controlled snaps for Boyle and Watkins, uh, just ease them in, get them – knock the rust off. But they have – it would also be beneficial given this – time frame that they also get that extra week and those extra days off. So I could see both sides of it, but I, I mean, then again, you're, uh, you're playing the bears. I'm not discounting the bears either, but I, I think it's, <laughs> they're not like the, like the, you need these guys ready for the stretch with, with the AFC North and the Packers and the Rams, that's like their gauntlet. So, yeah, I mean, maybe just it's better to play on the conservative side and knowing that they still have that coming up. Well, the Dolphins
0: uh, have been beaten by the Ravens in three straight. Get this, guys, by an average score of forty-five to five. The last time that the Ravens journeyed down to Miami, they won fifty-nine to ten. We all remember that game. It was the inaugural game for Marquise Brown. Uh, this season, the Dolphins were thought to be on come for twenty twenty-one. We could talk about that, but the momentum they generated last season seems to have vanished, and they were the thirtieth-ranked defense, the thirtieth-ranked offense the Ravens tend not to lose when they go on the road as favorites by more than a touchdown Uh, I think the number is 13 and 2 against the spread since 1995 when they go on the road as more than a touchdown favorite currently they're a seven and a half point favorite however the Ravens have covered the spread just once in their last four victories in that situation and that includes that last second 19 to 17 win in Detroit earlier this season So, guys, for a team that entered the season with a lot of promise, nearly making the playoffs last season, with four of the top 43 picks in the 2020 draft, it wasn't supposed to be this way for the Dolphins. So what's going on?
2: So I th- I think the you know we'll get into the into the offensive keys in a second. It's worth just touching on the fact that I'm not sure, I'm uh, this defense is still pretty talented and I, and I still think a lot of Brian Flores, but I think that they've had a lot you know we talk about the mistakes and miscues that we've had on defense. They've had a lot of mistakes on defense. They've had a lot of guys just not not playing their assignment particularly well. I think I think the other thing that it has to be said, which will you know when we get into the defensive keys, we'll get into that is that you know the... They took Jalen Waddle, and I'm a big. I was a big Jalen Waddle fan, but that offensive line is a mess. And they, they really, you know, there was a lot of offensive line talent out there in this in this last draft just gone. And I, I you know, looking back now, with, and hindsight's a great thing, but you know, you look back now and with hindsight, you think really they they should have gone heavy on the offensive line as early as possible, um, and maybe pick up a. A Darius or maybe even jump up a few spots, and and they'd have had Rashawn Slater. So the offensive line is a real problem, and and they that they just didn't address um, well enough in the off season. Yeah, they are trenches on both sides of the ball <laughs> leave a
1: lot to be desired. And then when you think about it, like I agree with you, James, because yeah, the waddles a splash a splash uh, selection. Then they they have all these receivers, but all of them are banged up. Will Fuller, uh, Dante Parker. Uh, who's talented but can't stay healthy. G- really and we're going to talk about Gusecki, but he's really kind of the only consistent guy for them in terms of uh, a guy they can depend on as a weapon in the offense. So it's, um, it's interesting how they built their team using those draft picks, but they're going to need another uh, good draft, <laughs> I think, to kind of get out from underneath uh, some of these uh, questionable moves. Well, there's a, a bad vibe in Miami, and
0: I think that that might have a lot to do with how they're underperforming. When you have your owner, Stephen Ross, out there talking up how they're so interested in Deshaun Watson and you've got your first-round pick from the previous year kind of hearing all this kind of thing, your team starts to not believe in your quarterback, and and when all those things start to trickle down and they start pointing the finger at Brian Flores. You don't play as hard for that guy. I think that has something to do. The mindset of this team has something to do with why they're underperforming
1: in 2021. Well, it doesn't. It remind you a little bit, Tony, of the Patriots, but like it's not working out for them, like it, it did for the Patriots, right? But he's he comes from that. Uh, he he's a disciple of Bill Belichick, and I the whole way the way that he handled the quarterback situation, not really backing to a. These rumors in the media, not really getting out in front and, and dealing with it, so the morale of the team doesn't fall apart. It very, it's very Belichick-esque, except again, Belichick had the benefit of still having Tom Brady, so he could do that and get away with it. Uh, but but it's not working for Flores, and I think it's it's pretty evident to your point uh, that these these um, I guess these items are really affecting the, the team's morale. It's a young team too. If you think about it, very young team, so you kind of have to handle them differently a veteran team
0: but when you have these situations and now you're two and seven and going nowhere fast you have these players they start to make business decisions on the field and what I mean by that is maybe they don't make that daring attempt or that extraordinary effort in order to save themselves for the next year save their contracts keep them intact don't risk those kinds of major injuries that could sideline you and jeopardize your financial future. So I think those kinds of things come into play when, when things begin to fall apart like that. So let's move yeah, on. To the, offensive keys. The, um, the offensive keys with, I know when James pointed out in his battle plans, which you can find on Russell street report in their magnificent entirety, James, another great job. the, the Dolphins are ranked 30th on defense overall. They're 30th versus the pass, 16th versus the run. As, James, you indicated before, somewhat like the Ravens, they blitz a lot. How does the Ravens offensive line keep that blitz
2: intact and keep these guys at bay? Yeah, so I watched Obviously for, for for battle plans, I, I watch a lot of um a lot of coaches' film of the of the team we're going to play leading up. And I, I saw a one interesting particular technique, which I'll touch on in a second, but you, you're absolutely right, Tony. They they play uh, you know, it's a very similar defense to to Wink Mart- to the one Wink Martindale runs. They are six in blitz percentage, and I think the Ravens are fifth. The the only thing I'd say is that while they they did a lot of that last year in terms of um you know playing cover zero behind um behind sort of all out blitzes, but also with some simulated pressures where they they walk up eight to the line and they drop four guys into coverage and they play a lot of man coverage behind those blitzes. I think um what's different from this year to last year is they're just not getting home. So they they while they're like I said, they're sixth in blitz percentage, they are sort of league average in terms of getting pressure and they're bottom five in sacks. So they're just not getting to the quarterback. Ogba um is a dangerous one-on-one pass rusher. Christian Wilkins is getting is getting better. So they, they do have some guys, some horses to, to worry about. I I wrote in the last last week's um battle plans against the Vikings that sort of um, slide and combo protection was going to be really important for the offensive line this week. But I, I wanted to just really quickly touch on a, a technique I saw. So one of the things that the Dolphins blitzers will do is they will um, engage an offensive lineman before they drop. So they're taught to to actually really engage an offensive lineman, not just put a sort of false step forward and then drop back into their zone. They are supposed to go up and engage the offensive lineman. And if the offensive lineman doesn't engage back, they do have a kind of personal check that they're able to do in certain situations where they can continue and blitz the quarterback, even though their original assignment was to drop back out. It's basically to stop teams sliding away from that pressure, sliding their protection away from that pressure consistently and force them to kind of respect... Uh, all those blitzes a li- for a little bit longer on the offensive line. And one technique I saw that was really interesting. Um, and if any listeners listen and, and can can tell me what this technique is, because I could not find it anywhere, uh, it may have just been someone inventing it just for that for that particular um, quirk of the Dolphins' defense. Was that they you saw an offensive lineman actually? sort of fake engage themselves sort of fake engage with that blitzer and then peel out almost pulling in protection out to the outside um to the side where the where the pressure was going to be coming from so it was like a center who would then pull to outside the right tackle and block a, a defensive end or a defensive back coming off the edge so i think the ravens need to get a little bit sort of special in their protection for this for this week from the offensive line but obviously that you know your normal slide and, and combo combo um, protections will work too now outside of the protections and, and so the slide protections dev
0: how do you counter some of these blitzes with their passing concepts and who are the guys you think are most likely to fill those roles for the ravens
1: i think there was some seeds last week the vikings play a different type of coverage. I mean, mostly they play that cover, uh, zone coverage shell coverage, and they stayed disciplined in that. And The Ravens struggled in the first half, but then I, I liked some of the concepts that they use, and I think that it could be applicable to some of the stuff the Dolphins do, which is that you're, you're using those slip screens on the outside with Brown, Duvernay. I think getting those guys out in, uh, in space is one. And then I like the shallow crosses and the intersecting crossing routes, mesh point routes, the middle of the field where you have two or three receivers kind of intersecting and creating conflict for defensive defenders when they're trying to chase them. So the, the dolphins are not going to get outside of their man, man covers. That's where they, I think the Ravens had to make a slight adjustment against Minnesota, which was that those routes were more sit down routes, or those were, those were kind of like, you know, trying to get the quarterback a lot you know in the quarterback's vision versus, you know, now I think Lamar might be able to just kind of anticipate it and, and let, and, and lead as receivers, hopefully, the key is that they have to play physical and they kind of have to work through the, through the conflict points. But I think those are the routes that I could see really uh, being successful, especially if Sammy Watkins is, is able to come back uh, because you now have three levels of intermediate targets and in Bateman Watkins and uh, Andrews to really, you know, tear apart the splits. James, you I, mentioned it in the
0: battle plans. Uh, you explained it in, in detail on rush street report that the dolphins attack offenses with, tight fronts talk about tight front and that is t-i-t-e and what that means and how the ravens
2: should counter that yeah so a, a tight front is where you um you use a, a nose tackle uh, in the same way that, that we do and you use like lots of most of the kind of um uh sort of casual definitions of defensive line uh, alignments center around the three and the five technique um, three being a sort of penetrating, uh, penetrating defensive tackle. Five technique being a guy who lines up pretty much over the um, over the offensive tackle, but is not a kind of wide defensive end traditionally. So the five technique that, that the Ravens have is is Claes Campbell. There is actually uh, like lots of different uh, alignments that defensive linemen can take, and one of those alignments is a four I technique. And a four eye technique basically means that the the defensive end will line up shading just to the right of the right or left of the defensive tackle uh, of the sorry of the offensive tackle on their inside shoulder. So basically a tight front is one where you have a nose tackle and you have two defensive ends, but the the two defensive ends are lined up inside the tackle box. They're inside of the two offensive tackles. And then you'll walk up uh, outside linebackers to the outside. The idea behind this is that you that the three defensive linemen that are lined up in, inside the tackle box basically spill runners to the outside. So they'll they will will clog up those they'll two gap they'll clog up those um, those interior lanes, and they will spill runners outside. So they'll try and get runners to to the outside. I, I think this is significant against the Ravens because I think the Ravens have struggled with their running backs to get the ball outside on teams that are committed to to defending the interior really well. So I do think it's a kind of relevant thing. And their run defense is not awful. Andrew Van Ginkle's pretty good on, on one edge. So I do think it's it's a it's a key to this game that the Ravens are able to maybe do some different things. Uh, to be able to run the ball inside, like I think I'd like to see a bit of uh, inside zone and duo this this week. Inside zone gets up and and duo gets double teams on on some of those big guys inside, and the the Ravens don't run a whole lot of that. And I think this might be a week to, to to try it out, especially as I think they will, you know, find find some good going against that against that pass defense. So it might be a week to try and try some different things with the running game. I know Greg Roman loves to do that. Do you have any thoughts on on Ravens
0: getting the ball outside with their their running backs? I think that Devontae Freeman did a a decent job
1: of that this past week. He did. Yeah, he still has a little bit of juice left, and and you notice that they get some load – they they overload some formations for him so he can hit those outside gaps. And when he does, I think especially on the right side, and it will be interesting to see, again, will Nick Boyle play? Can they exploit that? Uh, You know, see some – it's not overloads, but, um, unbalanced looks. And I think that's one way to kind of combat to James's point, just the lack of having an explosive element on the outside. So you kind of just, you just will it based on overwhelming the opponent with the blocking angles. And then I think, yeah, like, you know, Tyson Williams has been a mystery, but he's really their most, I think, uh, explosive runner, but you just don't see it. So it really will come down to Devontae Freeman and the other I mean, caveat could be maybe they go with more, more Duvernay on the outside, get him the ball. Uh, you know, so that's one way to get some outside action
2: and, and kind of exploit those edges. Just one other thing, Tony. Um, the the other thing to I, I completely agree with everything Jeff said. I think um, the unbalanced line definitely be a good thing and and maybe even getting you know more than you know multiple pullers as well to kind of change the numbers game change the point of attack of the run what one just other thing to mention if you look through most of the most of the kind of data services and which i do every week for, for battle plans you'll see like the dolphins pretty much universally in almost, in most categories in offense, defense, you know, they're in the bottom third of the league. You're looking at twenties and thirties in terms of their rankings. One of the things they are very good at and it's rare um, is, is their run defense in the red zone. They seriously stiffen in the red zone um, when you try and run the ball on them there. So, um, you know, we're going to need to have our our best passing concepts in those tight areas of the field dialed up because um, it probably will be tough to run on them in, in the red zone. As we mentioned
0: before, Nick Boyle is questionable for the game. Would not shock me if they want to wait for him on him for another you know week and a half because they have that long uh, rest given the, uh, the Thursday night game. But if he does play, the combination of him and Pat Ricard, who had a monster game, and, and to your credit, James, you said he needed to have a good game, he had a great game. And just the, the combination of those two guys. What might that do to spring things up on the outside? Yeah, I, I would. Um,
1: yeah, I could start with that one. I, I think you saw some of it, but it, it's a great point that between Ricard, Boyle, the kickout options are going to get bat- that much better because between but the tackles right now, if you look at it, that's where they're really missing the anchor of a Brown and a Stanley. That's really where I mean those guys would just they would just add that much more of an anchor. So they need something to make up for that. And I think Ricard's playing Ricard is a beast anyway, but then you add that together with Boyle and then even Tomlinson and, and all of a sudden it's, 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 it's a lot better. So I do think he could, uh, I think those two guys in combination is, is definitely needed uh, to reestablish some outside presence.
0: Moving to the defense, Miami's offensive line is as James indicated earlier in shambles. they, Leading the league in pressures allowed. Is this the game in which the Ravens get home with four or might it be an invitation to blitz even more?
2: You know, It's, it's funny. I, I started, I started writing this thinking, you know what, it's going to be two or it's going to be Brissette. And, you know, I feel like we could feast on that with our usual, with, you know, with the, with the usual blitz packages and pressure packages that we draw up, but that the Ravens draw up. sorry. Uh, but actually, you know, Why do it if you're going to be able to get home with four? I think it'll be really interesting to see. I think this, this line has been moved around a lot, you know, um, Greg Manx is starting on this offensive line. Um, So that sort of tells you a lot. Greg Manx was a, you know, was a throwaway in, in training camp where the Ravens traded him to, um, to the dolphins and he's a bit of a journeyman. So that's the kind of standard that you're getting there. Liam Eichenberg has looked pretty good in the run game, but he's now moved to left tackle and he's struggling a little bit in the, in pass protection. You, you probably don't need to, to blitz as much in this game. And it's almost like I don't need to rather than, you know, I want to, if it is to which it is looking unlikely, but if it is to you know, you'll be able to throw in some stunts, some blitzes, some simulated pressures, and you're just going to get to a point where, I, I think it's going to be, you know, he's going to be running for his life because he's never going to have seen this before, and he's not going to be able to ID it particularly well. So it could be a, it could be a bit of a bloodbath. And um, what? Just one other thing, um, I always like to there's a there's a strange situation in miami as well as they have an offense. they basically take a collaborative approach to running their offense so they have two offensive coordinators and they have a basically a committee of, that designs the offense and it's just not working and if you check out my my battle plans please i've got my one of my favorite quotes from the uh from the u.s office uh where oscar martinez the uh, the accountant when they appoint two managers says um Go ahead, name a country that doesn't have two presidents, and uh, where would the where would Catholicism be without the popes? Uh, so it doesn't look like it's working for them having those two guys run the offense. Right. So, well,
1: you know the pass rush needs a good game, though. Uh, I think that's an understatement. And then Clayus Campbell came out, and then talked about the fact that they have faced some, some, I guess, disadvantages down and down in distance. And there's some, uh, you know, specific game script stuff that's kind of gone against them. I think what he was referring to in the Minnesota game is that they really had to play run first. So that might've, you know, just made it tougher for them to pin their ears back and, and really get after the quarterback. So I do think uh, this game kind of hopefully gets back to like the Chargers game where, because of the deficiencies up front with their personnel, you, do, you force slide protections, um, and then you exploit that, with, like James said, those simulated pressures or simulated looks. And that is really, I think, the tonic that they need. They have two games coming up. The Bears don't really do the best job either of protecting the quarterback. So I, I, they've really got to get this cranked up, or else it's gonna, I think it's going to be um, a really big concern when they play better football teams and better offenses.
0: Uh, speaking of the offense and speaking of the, the Dolphins pass catchers, the guys you guys have already mentioned, uh, Gasicki and, and Jalen Waddell, uh, nice players, good pass catchers, but they're somewhat limited, as James points out in his battle plan schematically. Uh, Dev, talk about that a little bit.
1: It's an interesting stat, and I, I give James a lot of credit because I told James before uh, with, with some of these players, um, because I guess because of Miami not really being, um, you know, as showcased this year. Like I've, I've had to, I haven't had to, wa- I haven't watched them as closely like Waddle I've watched and then Kaseki here and there, by just keeping up with them, I, you would have thought they'd be more explosive and especially Waddle because he's a deep threat down the field. But it, I guess that that's been one of the struggling, struggle points is how they've used both guys in, in this offense. I do think Kiseki is is, you know, a guy that I'm concerned about just from the standpoint of, can somebody run with them on seams? You, you know, we, the Rams have lost to Sean Elliott for this game. So is this a game where, where his uh, loss is kind of um, felt from, a, from a, an ability to, to cover one-on-one uh, a tight end, like, like a second, they, they haven't played a second t- type of t- tight end for a little while now, but of course they got, you know, the first run of um, top-notch tight ends at the beginning of the year. So, Yeah, the fact that they're really not getting a ton of explosive plays from from these guys, maybe it's a combination of the protection issues as well. Um, And and that cuts back to if if they're not able to hold up protection wise, they're not able to hit some of these downfield plays. Uh, So I think that's kind of part of it. Um, James, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, though, in terms of what you've seen and how they've been used.
2: Yeah, I think you you sort of touched on it at the start, of It's like they they are bottom five in in intended air, air yards per attempt and completed air yards per completion. So they're just not they're not they're not putting the ball downfield. And uh, it's a strange one because anybody who watched Waddle in college uh, at Alabama you know he he was a he was a deep threat and he was you know his, exactly. his his yeah his depth of target was much more than what it is currently in the NFL and they're using him you know they're getting him to catch the ball at the line of scrimmage and and, and getting him to use his, his his yards after the catch ability but it's not quite translating yet he, he obviously has incredible speed and and that's going to work eventually but you can see with Marquise Brown how sometimes it takes a little bit longer for those speed guys to work out how to get their yards after the catch and the nfl and waddle is waddle is finding that you know he's catching a lot of balls but he's not getting a lot of yards they work him and gesicki reasonably well in combination they 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 love running the drive concept which is where they get gesicki on a oh, it's a high low read and they get gesicki on a on a deep dig route and gesicki's pretty good on that route i think they're going to try and do that a lot they're going to try and put brandon stevens in conflict they will really test him but i, th- I th- to be honest, I think he's going to come up okay. You know, he he's looked good in the in the limited pl- play he's had so far uh, in relief at, at, at playing playing safety for in for Elliott. So and he's looked pretty disciplined. So I think I think he's going to be fine. But they will they will target him. It's just it, it, you've got to you make a great point, Dev. I think the the protection is definitely an issue, and they're just not able to drive the ball downfield. And I would think that means we'll be able to to kind of tee off on them a little bit.
1: Loved Brandon Stevens' ability to flip his hips in the red zone against Adam Thielen. It looked like,
2: I mean, having a guy
1: that is a cornerback at safety and he's got the speed to keep up with Waddle too. It's not quite as he's not quite as fast as Waddle, but he can with his length and speed combo. He's a freak. Um, So just don't be surprised to to James' point if he gets some one on ones and he actually uh, comes through. Absolutely. One thing I liked about that play in the end zone with against
0: Thielen is he turned his head and looked for the ball, and, and that's something that, that too young guys yeah. just don't seem to do all that often, and it's it's nice to see that he's got that down pat. Even more impressive is the fact that he hasn't been a lifer at the at the defensive end or defensive backfield. So real impressive. And I got to tell you guys, when Eric DaCosta called in his name during the third round of that draft, I was like, who? But now I'm starting to understand <laughs> <think> why. <laughs> so – Okay, James, last week you pointed out that Patrick Ricard had to have a great game. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Who's, got to, who's going to be your matchup to look at this week?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's tough this week because uh, you know there's not a whole load of talent on the, the, the Dolphins. Well, lo- there is some talent on the Dolphins roster. It's just not performing that well at the moment. The matchup I'm going to watch that I think will be quite interesting is Christian Wilkins going up against Kevin Zeitler. I think Lamar... Um, is at his best throwing the ball when he has space in the interior of the pocket and he's able to step into his throws uh, and that's really crucial that we that we keep the, the pocket integrity. Christian Wilkins has got better and better as as he's got into his career, and he is a bit of a he is a bit of a threat now inside as a pass rusher. And Zeitler has been uh, has had sort of mixed results in this first season with the Ravens. And you know I think he's going to have to he's going to be after he will be have to be pretty good this week um, to to keep Wilkins out of that out of that uh, pocket out of the interior of the pocket and keep keep Lamar clean. Any matchups you're gonna look at, Dev? Yeah, I I like what James was
1: talking about earlier, Liam Eichenberg playing a left tackle and him going up against Adafi Owe. To me, that's a very intriguing matchup because Eichenberg is uh he's a scrapper, he's a technician, but I don't necessarily think of him like a left tackle in the NFL. And I think it's an interesting thing that they're they're playing him there, and I think. This could be a game where O.A. gets back on track. He's been a bit quiet. Maybe, again, this gets back to some of what Campbell said about the responsibilities changing. But his speed rush, I think, is going to be a, it's going to be a challenge for for, life, for Eichenberg. And I'm curious to see if um, he can also do some things on, on those, on those uh, secondary moves to get inside if uh, Eichenberg is able to anticipate that speed rush.
0: James, any final thoughts?
2: No, I just think I think this will be, you know, I think this is a the middle of a three-game stretch where the ravens really do need to go three and oh and should go three and oh before we roll into that into that tough part of the schedule towards the back end. So gotta gotta get the win tomorrow night. Totally agreed. So that's
0: it for this week, folks. Great job, as always, fellas. Battle plans was brought to you by Royal Farms, featuring their world famous chicken and the area's best coffee. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Be sure to follow battle plans wherever you get your podcast, and also be sure to check out James's battle plan on Russell street report, which you can find there right now. It's a weekly Epic read for the football aficionado and your family. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you again next week.